What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. Although I will not be joined by my esteemed co-host Andrew D. Bailey today, the show must go on anyway as we keep our off-season slash long-term outlook podcast series train thingamajig a-rolling. The next team up into our singular deep dives is the Charlotte Hornets. They're a fascinating team to really go hard and long on given that Kemba Walker is entering free agency and is also Supermax eligible. I've called upon Kanata Edwards, a writer for Dime Uprocks, uh, a site that I just finally learned how to pronounce their name correctly only this moment, a few moments ago. He is also one of the three co-hosts for the Locked On Hornets podcast. Great podcast there. Check them out at Locked On Hornets. If you don't follow Kanata on Twitter, you need to remedy that immediately. He can be found at Nata the Scribe. That's at N-A-T-A, the Scribe, spelled exactly like it sounds there. Also, I just want to remind you to continue following the show, rating, reviewing, subscribing to Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. We really appreciate it when we see those numbers go up. You can consume us wherever else you're getting your podcast. That is absolutely fine and encouraged. iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're at least out there listening from somewhere and that I'm not yelling into the void alongside Andy 247365. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy on the Twitter machine at Andrew D. Bailey. And the show can be found at Hardwood Knox. Lastly, if you haven't checked out the Blue Wire Podcast Network, absolutely do that. We're pumping out great content over there all the time. We really have the NFL and, and NBA realm covered. So follow Blue Wire, subscribe to podcasts. They can be found on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. With those notes out of the way, we now get into the Charlotte Hornets with Kanata Edwards. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without my co-host, Andy Bailey, as we keep our off-season slash long-term outlook podcast series train rolling, though. I'm super excited. Uh, to be joined by Kanata Edwards. He writes for Dime Uprox, and he is also uh, one of the three co-hosts for the Locked On Hornets podcast. Be sure to check them out. And if you don't follow him on Twitter already, and which I thought I did, and I only followed him about a week ago, uh, I was confounded to see that I didn't follow him. But make sure you follow him too. Don't make the same mistake I did. You can follow him at Nata the Scribe. That's at N-A-T-A, the Scribe. Uh, spelled exactly like it sounds as a latter half. We are clearly, as you can probably tell from what he does with Locked on Hornets, going to get in some really deep Hornets talk today. Before we get started, though, got to ask, how you doing, Kanata? I, I'm good, Dan. I'm good. Thanks for the invite, man. It's it's just, 
it's good to talk about ball at all times, and especially with bright minds like you guys. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to this. Ooh, I appreciate that your standards are so low for the level of brightness. Um, <laughs> talk. I really, I appreciate that. Uh, big off season coming up, though, or that they're yes. in the middle of for the Hornets. And I imagine you guys, maybe you're not sick of it, but everything starts with Kemba Walker and his yeah. free agency. Yeah, it does because there are like everything that basically they're going to have to do this season or this off season starts with the simple question of, are they going to pay Kemba Walker the max? And for me, and this might be a slight bombshell, I don't think Kemba comes back for anything less than the max. I think you're going to have to give him the full 80, which for multiple reasons, which we will go into, is not the smartest thing for them to do. <laughs> now, what's interesting with him before we get into uh, that is with all the things that he has said, um, it was, I think, around the All-Star break, it was going into the season, then he just recently said that Charlotte's the top priority. He could, in theory, you would think that him his leaving might then come back to bite him with all the things he said, but because you're talking about whether they're going to offer him the max, he sort of has the built-in excuse of, well, you know, they weren't going to give me the super max, and that's why I left. So then you can't necessarily fault him for leaving. So he sort of gets to play the best of both sides, where it's he he's coming off as super loyal, but if the Hornets come in at anything less than that supermax, they do give him, however bizarre it might sound, that leg to stand on should he decide to leave. Because it, it, when you think about it, Dan, think about it like this. That man has been playing on probably the league's best contract for value for the last, what, two, three years at least? Yeah, once Steph's came off the books two years ago, it had to be it had to be Kemba it, Walker. It has to be Kemba Walker. So you're talking about a guy that essentially has been playing on the league's best deal and probably settled a little too low. Because remember, I know he's had conversations with a whole bunch of other folks saying he was willing to settle for eight at first. Oh, man. So <laughs> he's got to get paid. This is his last big contract because I don't think with everything, like all the work he's had to do, all everything he's get, had to carry, I don't see any single way that he can't absolutely max out his money. And I, that's why I don't see him for at least with this Charlotte team thus far settling for anything less than like, I can even see the, like the five years. Cause I know he has said in the athletic five years is the fifth year is what I'm looking for the most. I can see a scenario where you're starting to talk about, Hey, they weren't even willing to give me the fifth year or the fifth year wasn't enough. So it, it's one of those crazy situations where I do see outs in there, but I also I, I'm also terrified he's going to sign up. And <laughs> like that's the last thing this this franchise needs. Honestly, I don't want him to come back. There's going to be a piece as eventually on Up Rocks that comes out where I'll explain again. I'll explain here and I'll explain there. But I'm kind of with him not coming back right now. There's and before we get into why, do you think though that they are going to offer him the max though. And it's, there's, I guess there's two different versions of it and they, they can give him an amount between, but he qualifies for that five year, $221.3 million super max. His regular bird max is just five years and 189.7 million. Do you think they, that they're going to be willing to go, let's even say to the five, get five years, 190, or maybe we'll, do you think that they'll go even higher if it means keeping? I, I think because, and this is where, 
the business side may take over for the basketball side because Kemba Walker is the sole reason to watch a Charlotte Hornets game in Charlotte. It's a dirty secret. People are waning. Like people's patience is waning. So you have to, at some point, bring some a, a product that people want to consistently see. The only guy that they want to consistently see at this point is Kemble Walker. Are you willing to take that hit at the gate and on TV and remind everybody of 2012 again and right. start all over? And that's a that's that, that's a question I'm not sure I can ask because I, I can answer because, quite frankly, I'm not paying the bills. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. I I kind of feel like they're going to go as high. This is just based off no inside sources whatsoever. I feel like they're going to go to the five-year 190. I would be genuinely surprised if they went like even five years and 200. And if they give him the absolute full bolt, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. But I can see them do five. I can see them do five for 210. I can see that's the top. Like I can see them not giving him the full max. And I can see they say, hey, we didn't pay him the full max, but we kept the greatest Hornet in Charlotte, in Charlotte Hornets history. And I think that matters to them, too. Well, man, if they go that, just looking at, you know, yeah. Chris Paul's one year into his new deal. Russell Westbrook just wrapped the first year of his five-year extension. And perception is already just turned on those guys' trade values. I know Russell Westbrook's yes. more divisive with his play style because he hasn't technically exited his prime like Chris Paul, but... You look at it, maybe Walker under that deal that you laid out is movable through the first year, maybe the first two, but then you start getting into, wow, 31-year-old Kemba Walker in year three is making somewhere between 37 and $45 million. Exactly, and that's where it gets crazy because you're talking about you're not going to do anything significant with that team until maybe the third year when Nick Batum's contract and Cody Zeller's contracts come off the books. That's a lot to ask. That's a, that's a heavy ask for any GM to say, okay, maintain the ship, improve the team, do what you can. Oh, and we're going to have two max contracts, one of which you can't move, the other you don't want to move. That's the hard part. Yeah, that's and it sort of segues into a, another issue, which is so what happens if they they then keep Kemba Walker? Because I, I think at least if you're a team that has showed or knows that you're willing to pay the tax, maybe that makes the decision a little bit easier. But I know salary cap situations are fluid this time of year. I actually believe that we've yet to get decisions on Marvin Williams's or MKG's player options yet. I believe correct? I believe Mar- Marvin said in the uh, post game. In the, I'm sorry, in the Dana Mond, basically, the um, clearing out of the lockers to stage, he's opting in. He's in. MKG is the one guy we have heard neither hide nor hair from on whether he's opting in. And there's a, it's kind of crazy because you would think the guy just had his first kid. You would think, okay, I'm going to be a responsible parent. We're going to go <laughs> do this right. And I'm going to not say no to this money, but he constantly said in exit meetings, it's about happiness. And for a guy that was who had his minutes consistently jerked back and forth, sometimes deserved, sometimes not so much. But for that guy, I think he wants to play. And I think he wants to put himself in a better situation. So it wouldn't surprise me if he opts out. And he's only 26. He's going to be 26 at the end yes. of September. And so it feels like he's been in the league forever because he kind of has been. But he's not that old. So maybe... 
I just I don't even know what a team because you said his playing time was jerked around. I don't think you can use him at the three at all. And uh, Borrego did a nice job, I think, of letting a bunch of his minutes come in small forward when he did play. I don't even know if he gets if you sign a multi year deal. I don't know what price point he's getting. I think it might take him more than two seasons to recoup that thirteen million. Maybe two and seasons exactly, but but still, even then, just. I'm not sure it's the it's the fiscally responsible thing, but if you take a one year prove it deal at six seven million, or you're one of those guys again, he put, goes to a, a playoff team and becomes a solid backup defensive four, like a diet Draymond or better yet, Dollar General Draymond. <laughs> that can be something that he can do. Like I have more faith in MKG than most. I defend him more than most because I think he was put in an impossible situation to start with. And the player de development staff is nowhere close to what it is now. And had he come in the league with this player development staff instead of a team that had just been, frankly, quite tired of him, I think he would have ended up being a better player. I also think Borrego brought out some of the best that we've ever seen in NKG as well. So... There's, I think there's a spot for him. I just don't think it's in Charlotte. And I think he knows that. Well, if we assume that he opts in, which I think, again, just because of the dollar amount and you don't know what he's – unless the team really buys into his, his defense because he's probably one of those guys that you can count on guarding two through four and maybe even some point guards. I don't know that you want him against the biggest front court guys, but there's that. I just – I have – from the outside, I would – my guess would be that he would pick up the player option. And so if you give Kemba his, let's even just say his regular max, I have the Hornets immediately in the tax. Exactly. Uh, so what do they do from there? Is this, a, because you won, you have Jeremy Lamb, who's pretty important to this team, given how much Nick Batum is cratered, unless you think yes. that um, some of these guys on the margins are going to pick up the slack. And do you think that Michael Jordan, owner Michael Jordan is going to be willing to pay the tax or, is, or if that happens, um, like before we even get into the Jeremy Lance stuff, if they're re-signing Kemba Walker, they're they're shedding salary somehow. They're shedding salary somehow. And that's the question I, I worry about because I don't see Michael Jordan paying the tax. In fact, I remember, if I'm not mistaken, when he officially took over the team, I want to say in 2009-2010, uh, he said famously, I'm not willing to play, pay the tax for a non-title contender. And technically, he was right. That was before the new CBA in 2012. So we're talking about a guy that's already shy to pay the, the luxury tax. Also, with this team relying on that, that television revenue money, that $30 million, I don't see them paying the tax because they need that $30 million to, fiscal, to financially survive. That's why I don't see them doing Kemba unless somehow they either bring somebody in where it's worth paying the tax and they can guarantee at least 30 sellouts a night as uh, 30 sellouts a season or 30 sellouts a night would be nice though. Exactly. <laughs> like 30 sellouts a, a night would be perfect, but you're talking about 30 sellouts a season at minimum. You're talking about that. And if you're not getting that, then there's going to be a massive problem. And that's why I see them going the other way with this. And so this kind of skips ahead off the notes I gave you, but you touched upon it already. Is they're looking at what they have, their their asset chest, the expiring contracts that we project them to keep now, you know, those are useful for salary matching purposes. 
is there any trade targets out there, just splashes that you think make them good enough but are also feasible to go after to where you can justify we're going to pay Kemba Walker and if we if we have to pay the tax, so be it? Somehow, the only guy, and I think they get outbid by guys like the Lakers that are not going to go after. I, again, this is my personal thing. I don't think the Lakers go after AD this year. I think they go after Bradley Beal. Ooh. And I think – Bradley Beal is the guy that the Hornets want. And if the rumors are two first-round picks is what's going to do it, two first-round picks and a whole lot of expiring salary coming off the books, that's the guy I think they can justify saying, okay, we have we have Diet Portland and Beal and Kemba Walker, and let's go. Bradley Beal is a name I always came back to for them too. And if it was just two first-round picks and – salary matching and you know if you have to throw Malik Monk in there I'm, I'm done with Malik Monk I don't even think I put him in my notes for you so if you have any thoughts on Malik Monk definitely throw them out there if they if Washington wants Miles Bridges though is that is there a line that you draw anywhere if you're the Hornets and in, in talks for a guy like Beal and I think you know you coming back to him I, I don't I not only think he's a good fit it's I when you go through the potential blockbuster trade market aside from Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal there aren't a bunch of other names that really come up uh no there isn't the Pelicans have already said they're going to keep Drew Holiday basically if they trade Anthony Davis so he's out and then people are jumping the gun with the Giannis Antetokounmpo stuff that's at least a year away from being a problem um Portland I think has played themselves out of CJ McCollum trade talks Yeah, exactly. Once you make the once you make the conference finals I think it becomes <laughs> a you're going to have to rethink everything Right, and, and if they sign Dame to the extension that he's eligible for, everyone expects him to, then he's not. He's not, no. and he was never a guy that was going to request a trade anyway. Never, never, and that's why I think Portland is the model that if they don't break this all down, I think is the model that the Hornets are trying to go after. Is you get the right seating, you get catch the right matchup, and you might find yourself in the conference finals. You're not going to win anything, but it'd be the first conference finals that the Hornets franchise has ever made. Mm-hmm. So that matters, too. So, I, I, again, it's one of those situations, but I think it's Beal. I think Beal is the target. I don't see anybody else that can they can possibly convince to come here or they can possibly trade for because, quite honestly, I don't think they have the assets. And, I'm, and to answer your question, I'm not sure Bridges – I think Bridges is the only untouchable there. I think everybody else can be moved. I think it's going to take a lot more to move a guy like Dwayne Bacon than people think, though. Yes, we will. We, we will get to him. But if the if the Wizards came back with, let's say, salary filler, two firsts and Bridges, and that gets you Beal, is that a deal if you're the Hornets that you're making? Yes, but you're gritting your teeth. Yeah, because I, I, I think Bridges, Beal, Kemba, Kemba is is the start of something special. So, and again, I, maybe you could make up some of that ground with. You know, I mean, you already mentioned Bacon. You have Willie Hernan Gomez, and Washington doesn't have its center of the future. So maybe there's a way. And, you know, who knows? If if they getting rid of Beal, maybe they have interest in Malik Monk. You could maybe include other stuff. But it's – I think I'm with – I don't think. I know I'm just with you. The Bridges thing makes me uneasy. Yeah, it, it makes you uneasy. And if, like, literally the – because you're talking about a guy that may be Gerald Wallace, who's beloved here. And if you have the second coming of, of Gerald Wallace and you trade him for a guy that, again, while you like it and while it may guarantee you at least a round in the playoffs, 
if he turns out to be more than Gerald Wallace, then you're really going to regret it. And you're going to regret it four games a year. And do you know what makes that scenario that I laid out that we have no idea if that would even do the trick really tough too, is that it's almost more enticing because you know that this year's number 12 pick isn't like most of the time, it's not going to be anyone special, but in this draft, I think you can probably talk yourself thinking that, yeah, you're yeah. not going to miss out that you're 99% sure you're not going to miss out on anyone special. Yeah. Th- that's the thing. Like there are guys I like at 12 quarters. One of them. Um, I, I, like I said, I believe in guard. I believe the guards spot, especially for the Charlotte Hornets is a massive gaping hole, especially when you don't know what's going to happen with Tony Parker. Well, Jeremy Lamb is probably gone. Dwayne Bacon. I like, but at three, you don't. Re- and again, there's Malik Monk who I have slight faith in, but he's got to show me something in Vegas and elsewhere for me to believe in him. And then on top of that, like again, you're still going to need another two guard because I don't trust JP McCurr to come in here and do anything. So you can like some of the two guards here, but even then, for Bradley Beal, yeah, I'm I'm willing to forfeit the draft for for this year and next easily. Yeah, I think that's I think that would be the right frame of thought. Is there for Malik Monk specific? Well, actually, let me ask you about Jeremy Lamb first because you already said it. So he's just you think he's just gone? I think. I think if he was going to stay, I think just the with the way the cap is, is set up and the way that the Batum contract, which was defensible at the time, but less so going forward, I don't see a way that you keep him. I just, like, it, if you got rid of Batum somehow and someone decided, hey, look, we'll take Batum, but it's going to cost you, or... We'll take Batum, and you can have I don't know Andrew Wiggins or or um, I'd rather have Batum. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I, neither would I. Again, I am like the only reason you would even touch an Andrew Wiggins contract is because it's just not Batum. But even then, that does more damage and puts you further into the tax. You're just hoping that as a young guy, he find, the light finally comes on. And unfortunately, he's too far in the career for you to actually believe that. But the way the roster is set up, I don't think there's any way that you can keep Jeremy Lamb unless you're willing to pay the tax. And even then, when you sign him to what he's probably going to get worth, what he's probably worth, it's a lot harder to get back underneath the tax so you don't get hit with the repeater. And that's the problem. Yeah, he's. I, I might view him as more indispensable because I do think he's close to it. When you just look at everyone else in the roster, yeah. and he just he every season like clockwork, he shoots a zillion percent from mid-range part of his game is so smooth but if he were able to anchor lineups offensively without Kemba Walker consistently anyway I'd probably have I'd probably view him as more of a you have to come back but because they just don't have that guy on the roster right now and that includes him it's tough to justify you know you lay out all the tax implications but even looking at his raw salary if he goes from 7.5 million this year to I I don't even like the market's gonna be weird but if he gets like 10 or 12 million per year it's just tough to invest that now into a guy who you know isn't your answer up to not not I mean he could scoring wise if you I don't you don't want him as your number two but he can at least score but it's the setting up for for everybody else where without Kemba Walker on the court is where he just gets a little bit more unreliable. And I would ask you what is the number that makes you really unsure about paying him because for me it starts at eleven. Like, I like the guy. 
The guy won three games in the clutch for the Hornets this year. One improbable shot, but again, there was another one where, again, he posted up, he got his shot and nailed it. He beat the Raptors twice, beat the Pistons once in the last seconds. And that's how they improved their, literally, their that, that record of theirs that was so bad in clutch games because of Jeremy Lamb. I love the kid. I just don't feel comfortable paying him because contract year. Yeah, I think if he ends up in the ballpark of between, let's say, the non-taxpayers mid-levels, like nine over nine to between, you know, you say eleven, I might consider paying him if it's if it's twelve. Uh, it's just the Hornets and their tax situation almost make twelve seem like twenty is the problem. Yeah. So I think he if if he were to resign for somewhere between ten or twelve, I don't think that's a and we're taking the tax out of the equation. I th- I think that's a situation where you could look at it and you're the Hornets and say, you know what, we can't afford to give up this guy, and and that contract is still pretty movable. If you don't have to give him Will Barton money, because we look at how that contract turned out, uh, you can at least feel pretty comfortable, again, with that raw number, the tax implications aside. That's true, but I, again, I think what they're worth, I think they have no problem paying the tax for one year. I think it's just the repeater tax that they have a problem with. I think that's the problem. And I guess, I mean, if you're willing to go there, you have all those, we've already talked about, you know, Biombo, yeah. Williams, MKG is going to come off the books. And I think if you really have to, uh, there's probably something that can be worked out with a Cody Zeller trade, just because he's injured all the time, and yet he's too valuable um, to the team. And then at least you look at it, well, Batum will be on an expiring this year. That gets way ahead of the game. But the one-year tax yeah. payment, that is something interesting to consider that I didn't really give much thought beforehand. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Hardwood Knox podcast listeners can try ShipStation free, free, for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including the United States Post Office, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E, ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. So what are you looking, Malik Monk, next year, if we assume that he's not traded, what are you looking for from him most to say that this is someone that that can stick? Is it you want to see more out of his pull-up jumper? Are you looking for just more consistency and creation out of the pick and roll? Is it something else? Actually, just improve handles. Just, again, if he improves his ball handling in any single way, because – I know that it was it went around on the highlights, but he lost the Nets game. He lost a, a Nets game because his, his handle was sloppy. There are times like again, his ball handling improves and he gets to where he needs to be faster. The increase in strength won't matter. 
He just needs to find a way to get to his spots, do what he needs to do. And I think if he improves his handle enough to the point where he can play a little bit of one, become that combo guard that Steve Clifford saw him, saw in him in his first year, I think that helps a lot. But I think it starts with the ball handling. And then if the ball handling improves, then I think everything else will come. And also, this is the other reason why I'm pretty sure that I'm glad I'm, I'm hoping Kemba's gone <laughs> is because you don't have to put these kids in win or now or win or win or get benched situations. Right. Allow these kids to breathe. Allow these kids to get 30 minutes, get their shots up, correct every bad habit you see in film and go from there and grow with these kids and see what they have because putting them in this situation where it's win or go home doesn't help them all that much. I did think initially before last season that he would have a longer leash under Borrego. I was surprised at how uh, he had almost no runway for error uh, under him. That did surprise me a little bit. I know that the Hornets needed to win. It's Kevin's contract here, but I, I just thought given that you're hiring a first-time NBA head coach, basically, that he would have had more room to make mistakes. Yeah, again, I think a lot of us did. And then you just started, again, hearing the whole discipline thing. It was a lot of the same stuff you heard from Borrego. It was the same stuff you heard about from Clifford with Malik. And that was the thing that scared you going forward. And this is why I don't blame anybody if they're out. I still think there's something to him there. It may not be here where he unlocks it, and he may end up being a Lou Williams guy. But that's why I think you absolutely draft a two-guard or you bring in a a two-guard to compete with him. Because otherwise, handing him that position with no, no real competition, I think, is a recipe for disaster. I had I had looked this up while you were talking. I had no idea that Monk turned over possession 21.4% of the time at pick and rolls this year. That was a number way higher than I expected from him. Yeah, it, it's, it's his handle. A lot of it is his handle. A lot of it. And it's scary how, again, if he cleans up his handle, a lot more things would be unlocked for him. Happier topics, though, I think yes. um, Bridges and Graham both had solid, sol- solid, wow, solid rookie seasons. And then uh, you already mentioned Dwayne Bacon made quite an impression in year two. I'll start with Miles Bridges, who I, when I was doing my mock all rookie teams, it came down to him and Kevin Herter for me. And yeah. I actually don't remember who I picked. I think I picked Miles Bridges, so I was wrong. But what were your impressions of him? Uh, f- during that rookie season. And my, my one question, this is just selfishly for me, what is his, you've watched him way more than I have, but when I did watch him, I just, I can't get a feel for what is his eventual offensive wheelhouse going to be? Like what type of player is he going to be at that end of the floor if we fast forward two to five years from now? It's funny because I, I bring up the Gerald Wallace, again, I brought up Gerald Wallace earlier, but he's a lot smoother with the handle than Gerald Wallace ever was. Like, I kind of want to say Chris Middleton with him. I think his shot is going to get that good at some point. I think he's going to be a dynamite. Like, if you if I told you elevated Marvin Williams, would you be upset with that? No, look, you know, first of all, inadvertently or not, you know your audience if you compared him to Chris Middleton because I am a huge Chris Middleton stand. <laughs> like, I can see, like, I can see this whole thing 
elevating to a Chris Middleton level where he's going to be a max player. I think he's going to be the next really above average Hornet and he'll be, end up being no matter what happens, he'll be, unless he just completely explodes, he'll end up being Michael Jordan's second best pick behind Kemba Walker. I think it's, I think he's going to be good though. I just think his handle is just so good. And I think he can get to the spots he needs to. And the last, like the first, he showed some, he flashed signs in like the first month or two in the season. Would you start looking at some of those games back in the third, fourth, like towards like the last, I'm going to say almost three weeks to a month. It, he just took another step and it's like everything finally started to slow down. And I can't wait to talk to him to figure out what just clicked for him. Because when that clicked for him, he started putting up points. He started hitting the jump, the corner three. I think he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, he shot 35.1% from three after the All-Star break. And he's someone for his size. I would say he's a pretty good – it obviously matters at what position you're playing him, but he's a pretty good defensive rebounder. And I feel like he's going to end up being a defensive monster overall. I think he's going to be – again, the defensive, the defensive stuff – I think once he gets a year of filming, once he gets a year of just getting used to the rotation, the grind of just the NBA, I think he's going to be so good on defense. But his ability on offense, I don't, I don't think we've even seen him scratch the surface yet, yet because he's that good. He's going to be that good. I think the verticality is what's going to help him out, especially like separating and doing those little jump stops that I think he has in his arsenal right now. And the other thing, I normally. I, my co-host Andrew and I are big on this. And, like we sort of throw efficiency out the window, whether that's accurate or not, for the first one to three years. But something you can already tell with him is whether or not he's going from set positions or if he actually has to dribble the ball. He like kind of knows the the right shots to take. Uh, he's taking a, most of his looks are just coming. I think it was uh, more than three quarters of his looks came at the rim or from beyond the arc, and then uh-huh. he took a lot from floater range. But you know, if you're going to give me a rookie six foot seven guy shooting like. 40 41 percent um from that floater range that's something that that you can live with so having just the the wherewithal to to, i guess know where your shots need to come from is probably a good harbinger for him as well exactly because i know the kid studies and that was the big thing about them revamp when mitch came in mitch kupchak jim mitch kupchak came in i want to say almost a year ago, he revamped everything. Film study, he got rid of most of Rich Cho's analytics staff, but he brought in guys that were either in the Spurs system for years or, again, guys he knew. And I think you're seeing it show in, in Miles Bridges, and we'll talk about it later, but Devontae Graham's another guy, and especially with Dwayne Bacon coming up. And those guys, you can see like the revamped, player development system, and that's why you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot coming from those three soon. The other rookie, uh, that was a pretty big part of what they did. You have Devontae Graham. Oh, so it's basically the same question. What were your impressions of him, the the outsider's perspective, the pick-and-roll IQ that he had before he came to the NBA really did seem to translate, and I thought he played better defensively than not then when you look at his size, I think, what is he, 6'2", and I don't know what he weighs. 6'2", yeah, 6'3", six, six, yeah. Yeah, so he he was seemed like a pleasant surprise there in the half court. The only thing I just 
I don't know his front scrap his from scratch game. Excuse me, seems like it has a lot of holes. Whether he's going to go one on one, can you trust him to finish at the rim? What what is his shooting going to turn out to be? What do you? What were your impressions of him overall during that rookie year, though? He needs to be able to hit the three consistently. I think that's the thing that's going to open up his scratch game, and I think that's exactly what's going to open up him getting to the rim and finishing at the rim a little bit better. Because if he gets to at least thirty eight percent. Make make himself a threat. I think he can be a starter. For right now, he's a really good backup point guard in a league that you really do need really good backup point guards. So there's like there's a lot to his game that needs to be discovered. But considering the growth of where I wasn't sure that he was going to be that good to begin with, and then going down up and down the Greensboro and just using the G League. He'd spend the day sometimes down in Greensboro and then come up for the come up for the for the Hornets game. And he was really, really, really good at basically filling in and fitting in for Tony Parker when they decided to to basically park Tony Parker on the bench in a youth movement that got them one game within Detroit. So who knows? Whether or not Kemba stays, they ended up doing a really good deal or a really good job, excuse me, with his contract where he's just under team control at nothing through 2020, 2021. Sometimes with the the second round picks, you see that there's an out after for the player after the first two years. And so to yeah, have the that just at such a cost controlled amount for three years is a pretty big deal. It's it's a huge deal. And, I, and they did take, I think, a little bit of the MLE out for that, just for that, because they were sure. They were sure about that. And you got to remember, in all these deals, the Miles Bridges and the Devontae Graham deal, this team didn't have that many second-round picks. They got, I believe, two this year, Washington's and um, their own. And remember, they also have two next year. So he, Mitch has restocked the cupboard a little bit where Rich Cho had been burning through second-round picks like it was just nothing to be used and nothing to add to your roster. So that matters. And that's why, like, there's some, there's a little bit of optimism here in Charlotte. Not much, but there's a little bit. My favorite guy for them on the margins, though, is Dwayne Bacon. And if his shooting sustains from where it was in year two, he seems like someone that they're just going to be able to weaponize more off the ball. My My one question with him, aside from, obviously your general impressions of his sophomore campaign is, do you think that he'll be able to replace, you know, bunny quotes, some of what Jeremy Lamb can do one-on-one if, if that's what it comes to? I think his one-on-one game is a little bit better than Jeremy Lamb's at the same age. The one thing, because the big thing for me with Dwayne Bacon is just his ability to finish and his strength. Like, for a young kid, now granted, I think he's 23, 24, but for a kid like that to be that strong and to finish through contact is kind of rare. And for Dwayne Bacon to finish, if he finishes it consistently, I think he can replace at least some of what Jeremy Lamb does. Now, the three-point shot is what I worry about because I fell into the trap of believing the last six weeks of Malik Monk's rookie season was going to be the harbinger to come, and this guy was going to come in, take over the two-guard spot, and we wouldn't have to worry about Jeremy Lamb at all. And then Malik Monk's sophomore season happened. 
I'm just hoping that we're not seeing the same thing over again with Dwayne Bacon. And I hope that I think he can do it. I think he can improve on that because he won them some games. He kept them in that Toronto game that Jeremy Lamb eventually won. But I just, again, I just hope he finishes, he improves the shooting because I think that's the only thing that's keeping him from being a solid rotation guy. And it's, he had such a jump from his rookie year that is just, it's so tough to predict. He doubled his three point attempt rate basically, and he went from shooting 25.6% to 43.7 from beyond the arc. That's just an, that's an unknowable leap. You can, I feel like those, it's one of the situations where you can't say it's for real, but you certainly can't say it's not for real just because it's so obnoxiously huge. It is so obnoxiously huge. And the thing is, even if it regresses to 38, you're still happy with it, right? Yeah, I mean, if he's at 35, 36, league average, and you can trust him to finish at the rim, which he did, he's done, I think, fairly well for both seasons. I don't know how you can be disappointed with that, particularly with how concerned people were with his shooting overall when he was coming out of Florida State. And that was the that was a big question, because I remember those concerns. And that was the thing. Like, he would be the king of the mid-range. He would just try and kill everybody in the mid-range, and you're like, Dwayne, just take a step back. Just take a step <laughs> or two back, and you'll be just fine. It don't, don't again, it may feel like the Gulf of the Ocean. Trust me, it's not that far. Step or two back, and somehow, and this is where the player development staff I was mentioning earlier is like the big thing with this with these kids, is that's why you have a little bit of faith that they're at least going to grow to at least something of what their potential is. And if they do, then this becomes a completely different situation. What have you thought about his defense so far? Because I, when you look at his physical profile, hit and miss, what hit was and that? miss, hit and miss, very hit and miss. Probably a good way to put it. Because I, you look at his physical profile and it's his wingspan's like six eleven, and he's uh, what is he six 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 seven around six, that area. Seven, so you think yeah. that he can guard these attacking ball handlers? And yet, I might be more comfortable if we're trying to go for consistency. I might be more comfortable having him defend the four spot at this point than those two or three spots. That's the thing. I think that, and that's why, again, it goes back into the whole two guard thing. But I don't, with Dwayne Bacon, like he's been the bear of some bad luck. I mean, Jimmy Butler in that game, Kemba scored 60, buried that shot over Bacon, and Bacon played some really good defense on him on that. And there's just nothing you can do. But there are other times where he'll have those mental lapses because you realize it's a second year NBA player. So, you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad. I'm kind of with you where you might want to get into possibly having him guard fours. I think he can guard threes. I think he'll be more than okay guarding threes. I just I, I would want to keep him away from all the two guards as as many as possible. I, I just don't trust him with the smaller two guards because I think they will r- routinely roast him. He was way better in the post defending than I ever could have imagined. That's something that I felt like leaked out a little bit in his rookie year. And then last year on the, the, I, I looked this number up too before we started. I think it was like, he only defended post-ups 10% of the time, but just holds wow. him down there better. So and he I, allowed, it, it's that unnaturally, like I said, he's a, he's a slightly older rookie, but that strength, that strength to finish is the same strength that he, that makes him hold up. Well, these or at least really, really well when it comes to defending the post. Do you uh, do you think they're going to dust off Willie Hernan Gomez more this year? They did give up two second round picks for him. This is a contract year, and I don't think you look at 
Cody Zeller's way better, and he's just I, I, the, nationally they just call him the net rating superhero because that's just exactly what Cody Zeller <laughs> is. Uh, when you look at their win splits without him and their on off splits without him, but they don't have with Kaminsky headed to restricted free agency. They don't have you know Biombo's there obviously, but they don't have that backup five in place. So I'm wondering is are we finally going to see them kind of dust him off because it seemed like they placed a pretty high price on his career arc. I I was one of those that believed in Willie Hernan Gomez early, and then I just saw him get roasted, pick and roll after pick and roll and pick and roll. Yeah, it's and rough stuff watching that. When he was that, in New York, that was some of his numbers were always uh, the counting stats were always crazy, but you could just watch him get torched when they would attack him in pick and rolls. And it hasn't gotten any better. And I mean, they dumped two second round picks into him. Granted, one of those they're getting, they got back in the Bridges deal when they traded, um, when they basically did the deal with the Clippers and they got two second rounders back. So they, they've managed to scoop one of those back. I think he's going to get a fair shot. I don't expect him to win anything of significance. And I would also not be surprised if 36 is some sort of center to push everybody because I don't think Biombo's coming back. I think Biombo gets traded at some point for something. I I think Marvin stays, but I don't I think there's gonna be another center in there. And I don't think you can rely on Cody Zeller at all with two years left. And the less you have to involve him probably the better. <laughs> Frank Kaminsky seems to have, it, it felt like Michael Jordan had a soft spot for him these past few years. Can we assume he's gone, gone now though? Um, The funny thing is we talk about backup center. And if you start looking at that last three week stretch, Frank played kind of decently. I expect them to qualify him. I do expect someone when they miss out on everybody to offer him a Jabari Parker deal. That's how bad I think this is going to get. I think Whoa. he's going to I think yeah, I I think someone's going to go crazy and be like, "Hey Frank, would you like a two-year I would say 11-12 million dollar deal?" And I don't think the Hornets match on that. You better all. not. I don't even know if just I don't think I would pay him his qualifying offer. Not that I wouldn't extend it, but even 4.95 million seems like a push to me. It's a push, but when we talk about, and this is how bad Billy Hernan Gomez's pick and roll defense is, he makes Frank Kaminsky <laughs> look like Cody Zeller <laughs> on the pick and roll defense. That's how bad it is. The Frank Kaminsky's season arc was just weird too, because he was being used, then he was pulled, and then I know they had injuries, but all of a sudden down the stretch, he just seemed super important again to what they were doing. It it was like you know what here we're going to try and get you paid. And that way you can, because remember, he was complaining on Twitter. His family was complaining on Twitter about the entire thing. Remember, there were, again, there was free Frank, hashtag free Frank stuff. And that that legitimately happened. So at some point, they, had, they were like, okay, let's see what he got. And he was their backup center for a while. And he was the one putting in buckets. And he did a decent job. He showed for the first time in his career in Charlotte, some real growth. And that's why I can see them qualifying him. I just see somebody just, again, in losing out in the sweepstakes, be like, okay, here, Frank, how would you like this two-year deal? And the Hornets are probably not going to match. If they don't match, if he gets an offer and they, they let him leave, 
and you've already talked about how you're just not impressed with what Hernan Gomez has done. How do you feel about more Marvin Williams at the five lineups then? The only reason Marvin at the five lineups was, was were some of the best lineups for the Charlotte Hornets. And if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think it's fair to ask a 34, 35 year old man to play center 82 games a year. I mainly because I don't think he can hold up. It's why I think they feel like center is such a big need and why they've basically pushed the, we need a center. We need a center. We need a center in the draft, despite the fact that the bigger, bigger hole may be at the guard spot. I would, again, I love Marvin. I just think that the reason he broke down last year and Mar and bridges took a little bit more over at the four. I just don't think you can rely on him on him for more than maybe five, 10 minute stretches oh, wow. at best at this point. Yeah. I mean, I know he, he came close to a career high of minutes at center last year, and that was still fewer than a quarter of his possessions while he was on the court. So that's for you to say that then really makes me think that it's kind of a non-option to expand that. I, I don't think I, I don't think it's an option, probably because he missed the last, I want to say almost 12, 14 games. And he before that, he'd been one of their more consistent options, and he'd been their best defender by far. And I would, and by the time March, uh, again, by the time March went down, got here, he essentially broke down. And that's why I don't think it's an option at all because he played a lot of minutes last year. And then you're going to add the wear and tear and the banging of the five position. I think, I don't think it's possible. However, you mentioning Bridges at the four made me realize how interesting it would be to see more technically of Marv and Miles at the five and four respectively. Uh, they were together when the Hornets ran that those lineups per cleaning the glass through 257 possessions. So sample size asterisk net rating of plus 13.3 in those minutes. That is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's why I think they were in, that's why they, I think they're really big on Brandon Clark as well. Like Brandon Clark, um, Jackson Hayes in the draft. Those two guys, those are the two guys I know they really, 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 really like. But at the same time, because I think unlocking bridges at the four can be something, can be something special. Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your official trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Is there any hope for Nicholas Batum? And I, I just want to, this is apropos of nothing, but it is to me objectively hysterical that he had the second lowest usage rate on the team 
this year. That's in front of only Bismack Biombo. That is mind melting. The dude is being played, paid $25, $27 million a year, 25.6 this upcoming season. And he's working off a year in which only Biombo, of anyone who took the floor for the Hornets last season, had a lower usage rate than him. It's the same story when you just isolate field goal attempts per 36 minutes. It's just crazy. And a lot of this is him being passive, though. That's the crazy part. A lot of this was him being passive. A lot of this was him avoiding the ball. I was one of the biggest platoon defenders on, again, in Charlotte, because I thought it wasn't necessarily his fault. And then he became passive, and then it became an issue. Because when they bring in one of your best friends, Tony Parker, and they still can't unlock you, and they still can't get you to engage and care. That's a problem. That's a bigger problem than anybody seems to think. Now, I know Zach Lowe has said that he doesn't foresee Nick Batum being on this roster, especially if Kemba Walker is signed. I find it hard. I find it hard to believe that they can do anything but either stretch the contract, which, which I wouldn't do, which I wouldn't touch. I just let him. I'd let him. I just let let it let it expire. But I don't think there's a reclamation project for Nick Batum. You just have to hope somebody wants to give you enough assets to take that off your hands, and that's not going to happen for at least another year. Yeah, I don't know what it would. If they stretched him, they would owe him ten and a half million dollars for the next half decade per year. Yeah. That's a lot to pay in just dead money. I I do. I'm wondering though if there's something to. The, the Tony Parker way was uh, point was a good way of spinning it. That's certainly concerning. But if you could put him in a situation where he doesn't, you people don't look at him, or the team doesn't actually need him to be the second or third best scorer, and there's there's even that just clear cut number two. Does that improve his stock by default? I would say this: his best career years were in Charlotte when he was the number three guy, where it was Al Jefferson number one. Kemba Walker, number two, Al Jefferson. and Nick Batum, number three. And once you got to that level, they at least, again, you got the highest win total since, again, the Hornets initially left with that team. I think if he's the number three, number four guy, yeah, you're going to be okay. The problem is, does he care still if he's the number three, number four guy? Because clearly... This kid looks like he is checked out completely, and that's never a good set sign. What are you willing to give up to get off of his deal if you're the Hornets then? It can't it can't be the number twelve picker Miles Bridges. I think those two things in a salary dump need to be off the table. Like like I, I think I don't think you can do a salary dump. I don't think I I think at this point it's it might be best just to finish what you Yeah, finish the deal. Unless someone comes in there, like a Boston or a, if a, someone like a Boston comes in or Minnesota and they offer a ton, and I mean a ton of assets, along with a Wiggins or Hayward contract, I think then you do it. But it's got to be like Boston, it's got to be Danny Ainge-esque, like I'm getting this many picks for taking on this putrid of a contract. Would you do something on a smaller scale dump wise where it's maybe you attach a second or two and you're taking you're still taking back a salary but it's noticeably smaller and one of the ones i came back to is okc just paid the repeater tax let's say they don't care about paying it again would you do batum 
and then you attach, let's say, two seconds for uh, Dennis Schroeder and Patrick Patterson. So you're saving $7 million in raw salary about next season, and then Dennis Schroeder makes $12.5 million less than Nicholas Batum in the final year of their contracts. And it clears, and basically you have your point guard, not necessarily of the future, but you at least have a steady point guard that if you rehab him just enough, you can still flip him and move him. But even though Dennis is who he is at this point, and he has he's been traded out of two places, at least one for a reason, the second one for salary. So I, I would probably do that because that would fill a lot of holes. And on top of that, it makes I don't I would say it makes drafting instead of just drafting need, you're going strictly best player available because what I'm afraid of is that they would be drafting for need going into this draft. And I, I think for Batum, to me anyway, and, and that's why I asked the initial question, I still think that he would be good in the right situation. So if you put him in, in because I, I, don't, I think we can estimate that Charlotte's not going to get a star this summer. So that there's no. still going to be that uh, mercurialness attached to their pecking order. If you put him in an OKC where there's two clear options in front of you with George and Westbrook, and then just a really good big with Steven Adams to where he draws a lot of attention on on his short rolls and, and his slips and all that, that might be his best type of situation. And it's funny you mentioned OKC. Okay, so yeah, I can think of another spot, but they don't have the contracts to do it per se. San Antonio. I think San Antonio is He's such a Spurs made. player. Yeah. He's such a Spurs player. I think he's the perfect Spurs guy that you can just plug in there, throw him in, and he would perform under Pop. And we would wonder, why did Charlotte let this guy go in the first place? And then I would just play back the entire last season for you. Yeah, the contracts with them would – I think um, when they before they got rid of Gasol, so last summer would have been the time to yeah. make that Batum trade. Uh, that he's You're right, though. He's such, he's such a Spurs player. So – Looking at players uh, that are off this roster, let's assume that the Hornets are working with the mini mid-level, and then let's also mm-hmm. assume two huge assumptions now that they would use it. Are there any free agents, um, or even if you don't want to name names, just specific areas of need that you would hope they would allocate that money towards? If Kemble Walker is gone, I, I think we have to divide this answer up into two things. If Kemble Walker's gone, they need a point guard. Like, I like Devontae Graham. I don't want Shelton Mack back here. You need to allocate some sort of resources to getting a point guard in here. Because I think you're going to get a better two guard in the draft than I think you are in free agency. I would say, I would say allocate some resources for a point guard. And I think that would I think that's the biggest key that they need is just get a point guard in here at some point get a point guard if Kemba's gone now if Kemba's not gone I think you're that goes into your need you're going to need to draft draft or sign at least one or two two guards like I think the guards position is going to be the thing that you address this this season no matter what because you're losing Jeremy Lamb and if you lose Kemba Walker, most of your scoring is gone. So you have to replace at least some of that while you let a guy like Bridges develop, Bacon develop. And if Devontae Graham develops into that perfect backup point guard, a Derek Fisher type, then I think you're going to be in a really good spot going forward. 
So looking at that number 12 pick, and if, I think they'll be drafting operating on the assumption that Kemba Walker's coming back, but maybe as you pointed out, because getting guard help in general is such an issue that that's just going to be their default focus because it works both ways. It works if he stays, it becomes an even more essential if he goes. Are there any players that you've looked at or, or would like for them to roll the dice on at number 12 that, again, you believe are, are still going to be around? This draft Kevin is so Porter. hard to predict with with that, by the way, just because a lot of people have like Brandon Clark is like eight on their big boards, but he doesn't go into like the mid-20s of mocks. It's just wild. Kevin Porter Jr. is the guy. I think for I think they need to improve the athleticism on the wings regardless. And Batum wasn't helping them there. But I think a really athletic two guard that you can groom and give Monk I, I, I wouldn't want to say light a fire in his ass, but I would say you need that kind you need that two guard competition to go back and forth. And whoever win again, if Porter wins it, great. If a guy like Malik Monk comes out and trains and sees that he's got real competition here. I think that, again, you get the best out of Malik Monk from competition. Cool. Even better. But I think Kevin Porter's a guy. I think I want to say, like, if I was was ordering Kevin Porter Jr.'s number one on my board, I would probably go Brandon Clark number two. And then... After that, maybe P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington is someone I really like. A lot of people don't think that what he can do defensively is going to translate to the NBA and that they don't trust how his jumper will do in the NBA. I'm a believer, though, in him. This is coming from someone who doesn't start studying the draft until like two or three weeks ago, though. No, I I understand. Um, P.J. Washington, the only thing is, like, he reminds me a lot of Randolph Morris, and that's what scares me about him a little bit where Randolph Morris was supposed to be a little bit better than he was and couldn't get out of his own way. But the play style works, and if he can defend at least a little bit, like you said, he's going to be really, really good. He's going to be really, really good, and he's a steal at 12. And I'm of the mind that this draft, after Zion Williamson, are you really sure about anybody after that? Yeah. So before I get to the questions that we have from some listeners, what happens if Kemba Walker leaves, like what is, what becomes the vision? Is it a full scale scale teardown? Is there even a clear step one of what to do after Kemba Walker leaves? That's where I, I honestly have no idea what to say for them because I think it's easy to say, well, they just need to blow it up. But the two things I keep coming back to is Charlotte's not necessarily the market you could do that in maybe for a season, but two, they don't really have the players where they can just blow it up. Exactly. Like, this is the thing, this is the issue whenever whenever anyone says blow it up, tank, etc. This team, as I told you, is reliant on the revenue sharing money, the $30 million that they get. They're very reliant on that, and that's why them bringing back Kemba might be a bigger priority than people realize. The other thing that I guess... This team, when they went seven and fifty nine and tanked and missed out on Anthony Davis, yeah, that was rough. <laughs> that was that was rough. But remember, they also didn't really try to win the following season either. Now, granted, some of that is because of Mike Dunlap and again his abrasive techniques. The other, but the reason they stopped, they basically pulled the plug on the rebuild after two years, is because people stopped caring which is why it was so important that Kemba 
Al, which is why it was so important that Big Al signed that year, that following year. Because without that, there would have been just complete and utter apathy. And you risk apathy in a town that has Cam Newton alongside of it. In head and again in bold lights, you can't be the also ran, and that's the problem. You're fighting with the with the NFL. So when you start talking about possibly just doing a long scale, large scale tank job, you got to remember that this is Charlotte, and it's kind of like Memphis, where you can only really halfway tank. You can't fully tank because people will just turn, turn tune you out, and by the time they come back, you may not you. Your franchise might be in another city. The only thing I might say is at that point, do you look to see if you can just get something for Cody Zeller since he all of a sudden doesn't really fit the timeline? And if you end up getting out of his contract a year earlier, like let's say you get an expiring deal and just a low end sweetener for Cody Zeller. If Walker's gone, is that something that you at least look at? I think you look at it. I think if you go, if they go full wholesale rebuild, I can see them trying to keep on to Cody Zeller because fan favorite. And he would be the guy that everybody would associate the most with the Hornets until Miles Bridges is ready. I would I would be of the mind that since you cannot rely on him, you get a half-decent center and maybe a draft pick or two and see if you can get out of that deal, though. All right, so we have some quick-fire questions from our okay. listeners. Um, they are they step on the toes of what we just talked about, but that'll just be uh, me trying to for me trying to convince uh, just the decisive answers out of you. This one we didn't really talk about though comes from at taking tags. Why didn't Malik Monk start? Because defense matters. That's quick-fire and accurate. Um, this is this one is from uh, I don't want to step on the toes of the other one, so. All right, so here's one from Johnny P at Kyle Lowry's son. Is it possible for the Hornets to sign one of these big-name free agents this summer? I think the obvious answer is if, if they're left alone, clearly not. Is there any is there any scenario in which you see them shedding enough salary to actually open up cap space? No. No. Um, if Mitch does, he's clearly a professor of Hogwarts. I'll leave it at that. Or they don't have a first-round pick for the next exactly. seven years or something. Um, for the future of the fr- – this is from, excuse me, at PhillyReese215, Reese.mp4 is his name on Twitter. For the future of the franchise, it behooves the Hornets to not re-sign Kemba Walker. Am I right or wrong? You're right, but as I said, again, if you're listening to this and you're asking this question, is – the franchise in Charlotte in a long-term blow it up and rebuild mode. Cause I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> this one, <laughs> uh, I can't <laughs> at J a, we Colonel us from the U S air force retired. Asked, will Muggsy Bogues and Rex Chackman resign? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rex is again, Rex just got back on Twitter. So I mean, he's <laughs> clean up his record just a little bit. And Muggsy, Muggsy is enjoying retirement, man. I just, I actually just saw him a couple, a couple weeks ago. He looks like, again, he looks like he could take you off the dribble occasionally, but still, like I think he's enjoying retirement. The final one I'll go with, and we did talk about this a little bit too. But what would it, what would a Hornets package for Bradley Beal look like that didn't include Miles Bridges? And this comes from Carrie underscore Reynolds eleven CWR. Three, again, I'm assuming it would take 12, two other picks that are lightly protected, 
Um, let's see. Most likely they would want Marvin Williams back in that deal. And Marvin Williams, and I'm assuming Bacon, like, yeah, Bacon, Monk, and something along the lines of that. Like, it would be very, very expensive. I don't know if I'd go three first-round picks, Bacon, Monk, and Williams. I think you're correct. That would be – I know keeping Miles Bridges is important, but I'd probably want – you get Bacon or the, the third first-round pick would probably be what – if I'm the Hornets, would I try and broker in that scenario? Yeah, I, I, as would I. But, again, if it, if it become, comes between Bacon and – Bacon and – or Beal – I might just yeah. lean and take Beal and just lean into it and see if I can find a way to acquire a second-round pick in the draft. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is, is how often do you get 26-year-olds with two years left on their deal? Exactly. Cap control. Cap control is everything. Kanata, thank you for giving me an hour of your time. I, I really appreciate it. This was fun. This it, was fun. If Hornets are going to have a pitiful off season, so keep an eye on them and their, their long-term outlook. If you don't follow Kanata on Twitter, you need to remedy that post-haste. He is at Nata the Scribe. That's at N-A-T-A, the Scribe. You can also find his writing at Dime uh, Up Rocks, which I finally learned to pronounce correctly today, so we want to thank Kanata for that. He is also one of the three co-hosts for the Locked On Hornets podcast. You can check them out at Locked On Hornets. Uh, so we'll just thank Kanata one more time. That This was great. Uh, terrific analysis, as always. We'll be pestering you again at, at some point, I am sure. And until next time, I leave everybody else with the shout-out to the one and only Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.